some people some people really like when they're like when they're not at work like they don't like to engage at all with anything to do with work um i don't really mind for things like that like if i get an email like asking me a question about my section or something or i get a text like i don't mind responding to it this is right? like that's your that's your port that's your castle that's your area in a way like it kind of makes me feel like semi-important to an extent <laughs> i do nothing unless it makes me feel good about myself that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You think I'd be working there unless I had power? Too much energy. Hooray! Your silver bolt. Beast Wars once and for all. Titor, what have you done? I am giving this episode no Energon. What yeah. are you, a Quintesson? This is no Energon. Fuck it. I, I can't. Sigma balls, Gary! <laughs> Welcome to episode 69 of Too Much Energon, the Laser Comb podcast where we talk about Beast Wars shit and talk shit about Beast Wars. Coming to you live from a mysterious floating mountain somewhere on planet Energon, I'm The Siege, one of your hosts. I'm NeoCal. This week on Too Much Energon, we also have a guest host uh, from our other uh, mainframe adjacent podcast, Alphanumeric, where we do this, but we talk about Reboot, uh, Lady Glitch. Hey! Hi. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Lady Glitch, perhaps being the, the biggest Beast Wars fan out of uh, all of us on this podcast. Oh, absolutely. Has a lot to say about Gary Primal. <laughs> yes. Don't, yes I do. don't we all? Um, They're the good guys, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, what, what's going on this week, guys? How are we doing? Doing good. Happy New Year. Yes, happy yes. new year. We happy and we are, we are in 2022. Ooh. We are in 2022. 2022. Um, since we've <laughs> two, <laughs> two, two. I always say it that way, but it's not even the right two. Like anytime I say the number two, I'm always I always say it in the like the two much yeah. energon kind of way, but it's not even the same two. Nope. I was thinking about that. Oh yeah, day. yeah. I'm like I'm like it's T O O. It's not T W O. Sounds so why... the same. <laughs> Those damn homonyms. <laughs> yeah. How dare they? Mm -hmm. uh, it's been snowing a lot here. Uh, uh, you. You know what, Siege? Uh, the last couple years, it's had big snow dumps like once a year, hasn't it? Uh, most well, or does it skip a year sometimes? So we're doing that thing where we talk about the weather, but yeah. uh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, we won't hang on it too, too long. Um, we never so, get snow. I like snow. <laughs> so uh, I, I've lived in uh, uh, Victoria, BC, which if, if you've listened to this show for any, any amount of time, like you'll know that that's where me and Cal live. We live in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, I've lived in Victoria since uh, 
uh, August 29th, 2014. And the reason why I remember that it's August 29th specifically is because that is Judgment Day in the Terminator franchise. That's right. So, uh, and in kind of a weird way, my immediately after moving to Victoria, my life fell apart. Um, coincidence? So, so coincidence? Probably not. Uh, so yeah, um, but yeah, I've lived in Victoria since uh, August of uh, uh, 2014. And what I've noticed is that every year it always snows in the middle of February. And that's pretty much the only time it snows. There'll be a massive snow dump, uh, usually around Valentine's Day either in the first right. week or second week of, um, and I know because I've, I've realized this because I've been, uh, well, I always take pictures and put them on Instagram whenever it snows here. And for like, I think like three years in a row, I was over on the mainland in Vancouver, like going to an event, like, uh, in 2020, just before the pandemic hit, uh, I went to fan expo and I also went to uh, WWE SmackDown and like, I went to fan expo like the previous year and I was over on the mainland in, uh, the, the same time of year, like the year prior, I think for another WWE event, um, uh, been to a lot of those in recent years. Um, but there was a, there would always be a big snowstorm, but and that would be the only time it would snow. But this year, or I guess last year now, it actually snowed around Christmas time. Like I think it actually snowed in Victoria on Christmas. And I went to work on Christmas Boxing. I, I went to work on Boxing Day uh, for American listeners. That's December twenty sixth. Um, uh -huh. uh, it's a holiday here, but not really because uh, employers don't have to pay you any extra money for working it. But we, we like to pretend that it's a holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, it weirdly, it, it snowed like the, the on Christmas day here and the day after Christmas, mm -hmm. but so kind of breaking, uh, breaking tradition a little bit. How dare we have a white Christmas, <laughs> right? Y'all got that Hallmark movie moment. With your white Christmas. And, and it snowed down there too. Wait, no? In some areas. In the PNW, it did snow. Seattle got hit. Idaho got hit. Oregon got hit. And now just today, we had a huge front go through. Um, we're recording on the 3rd of January. We had a huge uh, front go through. Mid-Atlantic just got hit with like half a foot of snow. I had a bunch of rain last night. I'm down here in Georgia. So snow doesn't exist on coastal Georgia. We just get rain. And then a bunch yeah. of wind. Yeah, if there's any year, it's... <laughs> this is the year where everything goes goes haywire. I'm calling it. Christopher and I have been doing same for a year. Do you have your bingo card set up for this year? It's going to be snow in Savannah, Georgia, in 2020. No, I don't. We should get Doomsday bingo cards. Yes. It's funny that you mention uh, Hallmark uh, Christmas moments because uh, actually a lot of Hallmark Christmas movies are filmed here. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I saw a list on uh, VictoriaBuzz.com that was like, it was like the, the 20 best uh, Hallmark Christmas movies filmed in Victoria. <laughs> there are so many there's of so them. so many that there's a top 20 list. <laughs> there was a top 20 list. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was a neat article, too, because it told you, like, where you could stream them, like, um, uh, and what parts of Victoria they were, they were uh, uh, filmed in. There was one I actually, like, considered watching, but I... Well, Almost. well, I didn't. Almost. I, I added it to my watch list on Amazon Prime Video, which means um, I'll probably never watch it. 
but I'll always look at it and be like, oh yeah, that whole oh, yeah. Christmas movie. <laughs> at least well, you're honest wait. about that. <laughs> well, just wait till the next time I'm in Victoria, and then we'll watch it together. How's that? Oh, there we go. And I can, uh, uh, I can point out, like, oh, oh, that. Look at that. Uh, this scene right here. Uh, I have some memory, probably associated with dealing with a crackhead over there. <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China was filmed in Victoria. Really? Yeah. It's a very little known fact that you can recognize parts of Chinatown in the, hmm. in the movie. Neat. Uh, they I, just I should rewatch Change that. angles. Yeah, they just change camera angles and like go into the... Chinatown is one street here <laughs> in Victoria and they make use of that street, let me tell you. Uh, I, I own that movie on Blu-ray, actually. Ooh. Maybe I'll fire it up after uh, after we're done talking here. Uh, there was something else I was going to bring up. Oh, uh, speaking of crackheads, uh, at, at work <laughs> yesterday, I had to, uh, we, we had a drunk, not a crackhead, but we had a, this really drunk guy who came into the store and uh, uh, he ended up I don't passing remember out. walking in there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was there, but uh, I was on shift, so I wasn't... Uh, wasn't drunk yet. Um, um, but uh, he ended up passing out like right in front of the store. So I ended up having to phone the police <laughs> to get them to remove him. Nice. <laughs> Did he go over with like one foot and be like, hey, hey, and like jostle him a bit? And or did you stick? not even go near him? Or like that. The a one meter time. stick. <laughs> the, the one time I... I I think I might have talked about this uh, on the show, but I, I know I definitely uh, called um, uh, the Sick and Wrong podcast, a podcast that I'm a big fan of, whose shirt I'm actually wearing right now. I've listened to the story <laughs> like three times. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but this uh, a few months back, uh, I was um, doing a door guard duty at my work and across the street there was this uh crackhead who was completely unresponsive and a couple of other uh, crackheads were trying to wake him up and uh uh eventually like one of them started like kicking him and they fucking like were ro robbed him when he wasn't waking up <laughs> i remember you talking about this yes yeah yeah oh, it, yeah we we briefly sometime last year yeah 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 it was uh it was quite amusing to watch but no it wasn't uh it wasn't anything quite so funny, funny or memorable yesterday. Although the dude's pants fell down, so he was like, he was like lying like face down with his ass hanging out. That's just America's funniest home video material. Yeah, Victoria edition. Victoria, is that still, is that still a thing? I is think that a so. relic of my past, of our past? Um, I I think it's still going. Because I, I know there's been different hosts as it like struggled to stay on the air and yeah. the prizes got less and less and less. And, but, um, yep. It's still going. They're on their third. They're on their 32nd season. Jesus Christ. Right. The show's almost as old as I am. God damn it. Right. <laughs> Which, um, uh, uh never... we have a birthday in the house today. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't. You know for what? Sake, for the sake of transparency, uh, it is my 37th birthday this today. This is the first the time, time I've recording. said it. Happy birthday, Sage. Happy birthday, sweetheart. Woo! Thank 34, you. 34. This... Not a day over. 35? 37. 36. Oh. 
This, He's like, uh, you're gonna make me say it, aren't you? You son of a bitch. This uh, <laughs> this episode won't uh, go live until Thursday because that's our typical uh, 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 day for too much energy on. But uh, listeners, at the time of recording, it is Monday, January third. My date of birth. And the world was great with the presence of Siege. That's right. Presence? I like presents. And you have a box that's coming your way. Where are my presents, goddammit? I don't know. The tracking number. (laughs) I want pictures of presents on my desk by morning. (laughs) I saw that uh, that new Spider-Man movie, actually, a few days ago. Oh, yeah. You said it was hype. Yeah, it's really, 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 really good. Uh, shocking, shockingly so. Um, you definitely get more out of it if you've seen all of the uh, the previous Spider-Man movies, including the ones with uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. Because, well, this isn't much of a spoiler because, ev- like, fucking everyone knows this now. But uh, it brings back all of the live-action Supidemans. <laughs> oh, As- specifically Supidemans <laughs> there with the I spider wish. car. Uh, I I wish that'd be great. Uh, that it, would have been the icing on the cake for you. Yeah, if yeah. like Japanese Spider Man was there. Yeah, if anyone listening like has no idea what I'm talking about, there's there was a Japanese. I think it was on in the 70s. There was a Japanese live action Spider Man TV show, um, and the I, I've never actually seen it, but I remember about 10 years or so ago the the intro to it went viral. Right. <laughs> and I, I remember like latching onto it and thinking it's hilarious. But in the, the intro, like it's got the, the way the voiceover guy, like he's like singing along and he he mentions he says the name Spider-Man, but it's like the way he says it, it sounds kind of like Supidaman. Yeah. Uh and like and it's even... very super sem uh what's the term? Super uh, Sentai. Super Sentai. In that, you know, he's, he's got a car, he Yeah, he rides around on a motorcycle, he straight up has a megazord. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that that. But uh, so yeah, since that went viral like ten years ago, anything Spider-Man related, I always just refer to as Supidaman. Maybe if there's ever, um, oh, what was the animated one with Miles? Uh, oh, uh, um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. If there's ever a number two, it would be nice if they included Supidaman. Yeah. Well, there there is another. Um, uh, into the Spider Verse cartoon coming, I think it's called. We, so uh, we we can hope. <laughs> yeah, into the uh, across the Spider Verse, or so, I don't know. Anyway, something like that. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Th- this is episode sixty nine of Too Much Energon, and uh, this week we have a special interview. About a month ago, we did an interview with Bob Buckley. Uh, legendary composer, guy who did all the music for all the mainframe shows in the 90s, uh, Reboot, Beast Wars, uh, Shadow Raiders, Beast Machines. He talked quite a bit about Beast Machines, actually. Yeah. Yeah, he really dug that project. Um, so uh, we did an interview, and that's why uh, Lady Glitch is here with us, because uh, we all did an interview with him. Uh, and uh, the interview also appeared on our uh, uh, Reboot podcast, Alphanumeric, but... I wanted to be because we we are like our conversation with him we we kind of covered like everything mainframe related not just reboot um so and we, we do talk about beast wars and beast machines quite a bit so 
uh, I, I wanted to include it on this podcast as well because it's a really good interview. Uh, so here it is, our interview with Bob Buckley. Too much energy. We are here with uh, award-winning composer Bob Buckley, who our listeners will know as being the musical genius behind the music of Reboot, Beast Wars, Shadow Raiders, and a whole Beast Machines as well, which we're covering right now on our Beast Wars podcast, Too Much Energon, uh, as well as a whole host of other musical projects. Uh, Bob, you've got a very, uh, very, very diverse career it's it's quite impressive um to get started like how did you end up uh getting to to work for mainframe reboot was the first show that they did so that would have been the first show that you worked on yeah well you know it was it was uh three british guys came over to vancouver um because they uh you know back then you could get points for productions if you if you produce something in canada or if you use canadian production team you got different points and so you got uh money and stuff like that so i i think they got they got some grants to to do the to do reboot um and the they set up their offices in the same building where i had my recording studio so i heard uh you know down the hallway that they were looking for a composer um and i know they were looking in england and they were looking in los angeles they weren't looking in vancouver at all um but i thought i'd take a crack at it so um i i i thought um, because the whole world and the whole reboot universe is inside a computer, mm-hmm. I thought a way to humanize it all was to do a more acoustic score, like an orchestral score that sounded, you know, like a big John Williams movie or something like that. Um, so I, I demoed what became the theme and what became um, Megabyte's theme uh, to them. And they got a whole bunch of other composers from England and LA demoing stuff. And it turned out that all the other composers thought that um, what would be appropriate was an electronic score, like an electronica score with lots of, you know, with no real instruments at all. And mm-hmm. they liked my approach. They liked that I, um, that I, that, that they, I guess they put my music up against some of their footage that they were working on. And, uh, and they just liked the way that it fit together. So I got the gig. You know, and it was just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, quite um, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, we, we had the the challenge was that. Um, well, and the other, the other thing was that I was moving out of my house at the same time. And uh, at the same time as doing the Commonwealth Games and the first episode of Reboot, I was moving. Uh, and I was going to be without my studio for several days because of moving it. So um, they offered uh, to give me an office space at Reboot because then I think there was only maybe six people on the staff or something like that at the beginning. Wow. Um, so I moved my studio into their offices um, and, and it stayed there for several years, which is, pr- I, I don't know if it's why I got all the rest of the gigs because I just happened to be there. <laughs> or I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was great because, you know, the, the, you know, as they were developing the show and working on the show, um, the the staff grew. I mean, we went from six people to a couple of hundred people in less than a year. Um, oh, wow! So, and it was great being having having being able to have the music there and being able to have the different directors for the different shows come in and hear the music right away and and make corrections and stuff like that. And quite often, I'd make the corrections like right on the spot while they were there. So it didn't require them coming to a different studio or giving notes or any sort of things like that. I'd sort of work on it and get it to where I thought it should be. And then we would work on it together. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a, a very sort of organic way of doing things. 
The other thing that was happening was that um, because Reboot was the first ever uh, completely CGI production, um, so th they had all sorts of things that they had to do. They had, they actually, there was a guy named Gibby, Chris Gibbons, who, who developed the um, program that would match the sound of the actors, the words of the actors to the lips of the characters. Um, oh, interesting. And he was the one that invented that program, right? Right there. Um, and then oh, so, it, so it makes the models, uh, the character models automatically lip sync. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it would have been, you know, almost impossible to do. Um, and, you know, we had a machine room that was, uh, it was huge. I mean, I, you can't even imagine how many machines it took to render the first show. It took six months to do the first show. Um, and, um, you know, now all of that could be done in a laptop. But back then, mm -hmm. it, it required, you know, a lot of computer energy. NASA and, computer and room. So, yeah. <laughs> But I was going through the same thing because it was the early days of being able to use computers for music, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I was going through exactly the same thing. I had in my studio back then, I had, God, probably 25 samplers and synthesizers all plugged into a 64-channel board without board gear and compressors and I mean, all, it was insane. Um, now I can set my studio up in half an hour because it's basically a laptop and a couple of hard drives. Um, back then, it would take several days to set the studio up and get it working and make sure, you know, all the lines were connected because everything's plugged in, right? So all it yeah. takes is for one side of one stereo pair to go out, and, you know, and you're messed up. And the mainframe we mixing, pay for roadies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were mixing to eight-track um, digital tape. Um, so I would do um, like four four stereo streams. So like one stream would be, for instance, it might be strings. Another stream might be brass and woodwinds. Another stream mm -hmm. might be percussion. And then another stream might be sort of electronic effects and things like that. So when they were mixing, they had some control over the, um, and also in the stereo image, they had some control over where they mm -hmm. could put things. But this was really early days. I mean, you know, not only were they forging new ground, um, with the show, but I was forging new ground with being out pushing computers as far as they could go at the time and samplers being able uh -huh. to basically produce an ADP symphony orchestra, which is what, which is what my goal was, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I find that kind of, kind of thing really interesting. Just like the, the early days of that kind of technology, the, just like trailblazing, like changing in a way, like changing the industry and changing the way things uh, things in uh, film and music. Yeah, pioneering <laughs> yeah. the way things in film and music production uh, are done. Um, so, yeah, because it had been the first time for a, all, it sounds like a lot of <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah, yeah it was. Away. It was. You know that they they had to develop necessity. They had to develop a lot of things to be able to do that show. Like I say, the first show. I think they had. I think they maybe had six animators for the first show and. Uh, it was, it was, it took a long time to do, to produce that first show. And then the second one was, excuse me, was a little bit quicker. And then we were, by the time we actually got rolling towards the end of the first series, um, we were doing a show every week, which meant I had to produce, you know, 22, <laughs> yeah. you had to keep pumping minutes. out more and more stuff. Yeah. 22 minutes of like fully orchestrated music and they kept changing the shows, right? I mean, each show would be, would basically be about a different game. So I couldn't recycle any of the music. I, it, mm -hmm. Other than Megabyte's yeah. theme, and there was sort of Dot's theme and en Enzo's theme. And and that I, I there wasn't much recycling I could do of music. It pretty well needed fresh music for every episode. So it was, it was a lot of work. 
but it's also okay. nice that you managed to carry the mot the light motifs, especially like yeah. sad Enzo music and the oboes and the <laughs> in the double reeds, as the Cal yeah. and I talk about all the time. Yeah, like you you have that, but I can understand having to create brand new material to um, reflect what that particular episode is. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's quicker to write something from scratch than to try and rework a cue that yeah. was for a specific scene, you know, because when, you, when you're working with animation, um, mm -hmm. the music has to follow the action almost frame for frame. So um, that was the other thing, the algorithms that I was using to, to create the tempo track for the, for the mm -hmm. music was changing every other bar. You know, like be, be a couple of bars of 120 beats a minute and then maybe mm -hmm. a couple of bars of 134 beats a minute, just so everything lined up with the pictures and the action. And at the same time, it had to sound like people could actually have played that, you know. That sounds um, like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of mathematics. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a lot of like math a involved. Um, yeah. I think... Uh, Christopher and I go through uh, Beast Wars like episode by episode. And um, it's kind of amazing that <laughs> that you managed to... There's a lot of very different music on that show in particular. Um, like the, the heavier kind of like metallic sounds when the battles are happening and then kind of like the, the tribal like uh, wind instrument flute music kind of uh, in the uh, peaceful Cal, moments uh, cal has uh nicknamed it uh as we've been doing the podcast uh uh the beast wars peaceful flute music yeah <laughs> <laughs> well you know yeah i mean there was beast wars and beast machines so beast wars was was um uh uh sort of yeah it was sort of a, a it was sort of heading towards beast machines so it, yeah there was some because with beast machines i decided to do exactly the opposite of um of reboot and do a completely electronic score. There's no natural sounds in there at all. It's all generated from synthesizers and it's, yeah, it's a very uh, very techno score. Uh, yeah. We actually were shocked when we first started watching Beast Machines uh, for the podcast that uh, uh, it was you who did the music in both because we're like, wow, the the music's completely different because like yeah. uh, Beast Wars is very like hard rock, like guitar driven absolutely love it um and then beast machines like does kind of a complete like goes in a completely different direction and is very like late 90s techno and it's it, it's good like it's really catchy it sticks in your head yeah yeah well i i just need to keep from getting bored you know when you're, when you're, <laughs> yeah when, you, when you're scoring like you know two or three hundred shows um it i i just i'm not interested in writing the same music over and over again yeah. when you get onto a series i mean luckily reboot was a successful series and we had a good run and um and so i got to develop themes and uh, and the technology got easier and easier to use i mean i was constantly changing the sounds that i was using and buying new samplers and new and mm -hmm. eventually sample libraries came along which was wonderful because then you actually had I could do a lot of the music straight out of the computer without having to plug in external devices and things like that. So, it, yeah, I mean, the technology was constantly changing as we were developing the shows. Yeah, tra yeah uh, tra edge. Trailbla yeah trailblazing time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you, you uh, into season two, especially, and onward in Reboot, I find, uh, like, the the music just it even in that show just got even more and more diverse like in the season two episode bad bob it's it's a yeah. it's very very rockin theme like mm -hmm. uh uh and like that later was, on i love that episode 
that that was so, that was so much fun. i think everyone does oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the most musically awesome episodes out of all you know four yeah. and a half seasons <laughs> yeah so before reboot i i played in rock and roll bands for 20 years and oh, okay. all over oh. the place and and, and uh, did all that stuff had really long hair um and <laughs> sometimes i had an afro sometimes it was actually dyed purple um, so I went through that whole. There's got to be pictures thing, of right? you with the purple afro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Please. <laughs> but the but the guy that I co-wrote with that was in those bands was a guy named David Sinclair, guitar player, absolutely mm-hmm. amazing guitar player. Um, and so he was the guitar player on on Bad Bob, and I basically brought I had a framework set up with the tempos, and um, and sort of what were the hit points and things like that. And I just brought yeah. him in, gave him a chord chart, and I said, just go for it. So we put the picture up, and he just sat with his guitar and just jammed. Um, yeah. And that's what's so magical about it is because it's there's not a lot of um, forethought went into it. Mm-hmm. It very much is in-the-moment music, you know? Yeah, so I like really that. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it definitely translates quite well to the um... – uh, to the screen and later on in uh, season two of reboot uh, especially like there was the the the, the nullzilla episode <laughs> with uh, the the power rangers parody and like uh the the theme that you came up with for that was like kind of like power rangers like esque power rangers like um uh, kaiju esque it's it's one of my favorite uh pieces of music from reboot yeah it was it was fun i mean you know, sometimes I didn't get all the references. The, the guys that did the show were real game nerds, right? I yeah. Mean, all they did is they played games. When they weren't doing reboot, they were playing games. And and I wasn't such a game nerd. So I, mm-hmm. I didn't quite have the references that they had, but they would, you know, drag me in and make me listen to whatever the, whatever it was <laughs> they were lifting from. I mean, and then there were some shows, um, like the one that was based on The Prisoner, which was an English number seven. Number yeah. seven. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's one of Christina's favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first I one I got to guest on. <laughs> yeah. I love the original series, you know, because um, I'm old. Um, but I, I love the original series. And um, and that was really fun working on that, trying to sort of parody the music without sounding exactly mm-hmm. the same and capture that mood, you know, of, of that show. Um, and then there was another one where they wanted a the theme. It's It's a really... It's an old, old soap opera, radio soap opera from from England that was on in the 1950s and 60s called The Archers. And I never okay. heard of it. Um, and and yeah. one of the guys, <laughs> one of the English guys came in and started singing me this theme because we couldn't find it anywhere. <laughs> and um, and I can even, that was the theme from The Archers. I remember him singing it and he wanted something like that. As if anyone would get it, <laughs> would get that reference that was still alive. Um, but you know, there was lots of things like that in there. There's one scene. There's one scene where they pan through a, a gravestone quite quickly, and you see R.I.P. Bob Buckley. Ah, uh, demanded defense. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The yeah. season three opener. They yeah. killed me off. <laughs> and I, you know and that that scene wasn't rendered till the end so i only got to see um, um a, a graphic of it i never actually saw my gravestone till, till, till the final cut uh later yeah. on in season four you got to do a uh the the song firewall which is on your your website mm-hmm. uh it's yeah. uh uh, to, to me, it seems like it's uh, it's an homage to the theme to um, uh, Goldfinger, perhaps. It's, it's sort of yeah, it's sort James of all, Bond all the early all the early James Bond themes rolled into one. 
uh, yeah, that was really a lot of fun. And I got to hire some live musicians for that because it was too difficult to try and do that with samples. So I brought in um, I brought in a couple of French horn players and a couple of trumpet mm -hmm. players to do that. And I uh, think the live brass for that just really made it pop. And yeah. that's something that like electronics and sense just could not replicate. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was really fun. That, that whole episode was a lot of fun. The opening of it too. Um, cause, cause I love the original music to James Bond. Mm -hmm. uh, not so much the latest movie. Um, but, um, <laughs> Haven't seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> it's Hans Zimmer and you know, it's, he's sort of writing non-music these days. It's, it's just sort of music that uh, I shouldn't say this on a webcast, but it's sort of music <laughs> that, that, that fits in and sort of serves its purpose, but you couldn't, you couldn't walk away humming any of the themes, you know, mm -hmm. like, the, um, like the early James Bond movies, the themes were just all over the place and they, they became very iconic for the series. <clears throat> it's interesting that you uh, kind of mentioned, oh, well, you know, you don't have the music in a lot of movies now in your head. It kind of feels like music is uh, like a mood setter and instead of an accompaniment to a lot of yeah. scenes in movies now, it, especially action scenes. Yeah, it's, action all, it's almost like melodies have become a dirty word, having a melody. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have a theory. <laughs> um, and, and this gets technical, but with, with sample libraries, um, like acoustic sample, orchestral sample libraries, mm -hmm. there are certain things that they do really, really well. Um, they don't do brass like like really big brass thing all that well. Um, they're pretty good at woodwinds. They're pretty good at strings. They're very good at doing percussion because percussion is just a single hit, easy to sample. Yeah. But the the one thing that they, they do really well is like strings like chunk 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 that stuff. That yeah. kind of stuff is really really easy to sample. Sounds really effective. Gives the scene a lot of energy. Um, but there's no melody involved in that. It's just rhythmic. Um, so I, I think that, that the because, you know, I know Hans Zimmer and guys like that are 90% of what you hear is sample libraries. They're not real players. Um, and I, I think what's happening is that they're just doing things that, that you can do easily and effectively on a sample library, that if you had written it for actual instruments, you might have written something different. Um, anyway, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Well, I, I'm going to... I'm going to piggyback with that theory too, because movies themselves um, have fundamentally changed over. Um, well, they, they always do, but. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Action very scenes, evolving medium. The, the, the cuts, like something that action scenes and James Bond does this exceptionally well is it, it cuts the video, different camera angles, like every three seconds. There's not just any sitting shots of people talking or, uh, the the single shot action cam is coming back, <laughs> thankfully. And I think maybe because of how the videos are being edited now, the music is like trying to match. And as a result, it's th there's no room for melody there because well, yeah, the shots I move so quickly. I don't know what I'm trying to sputter out here, but. No, no, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's true that there, there are sometimes where melody just gets in the way uh, and you don't want it there at all because, but there are other points, um, especially big expansive scenes and stuff like that. Or if you've got a complicated story with a lot of characters, sometimes the music can help um, indicate where you are in the story and indicate the character in a subtle way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, indeed, yeah. Um, uh, to move on uh, to, to Beast Wars a little bit. Um, in Beast Wars, you definitely... You can tell where we're transitioning to. Like, even... Like even if you had your eyes closed, you can tell whether we're transitioning to the maximal base because we get, as Cal calls it, the peaceful flute music, or if we're transitioning to the Predacon base, we get like a more like uh, like rock-driven music. Um, so that plays into exactly what you were just saying. Yeah. No, music uh, can be useful for um, uh, for that for setting the atmosphere and setting the tone and stuff like that. Um, in action scenes, it's a whole different thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, quite often action scenes are heavily driven by sound effects, mm-hmm. so you don't want the music to get in the way because it's going to get turned down anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so, uh, uh, on the subject of Beast Wars, so what uh, uh, you mentioned, like what what kind of like the, the the mandate was, or what you uh, like what your inspiration was going into composing the music for reboot. Uh, what what was your thought process going into Beast the music for Beast Wars specifically? Beast Wars. Well, yeah, it was. Um... Yeah, I, I, it was ex- exactly what you just described. It was, it was sort of acoustic-based flute, sort of jungle-type music, for the, for the, um, for, for the one team of people, and then for the, for the, yes, yeah, for the, <laughs> yes, and, and yeah, sorry, I, um, and then more electronic for for the others because they, they and and then that became sort of more what what Beast Machines became. But it was it was just to set the tone, uh, and I think one of the first scenes is them discovering the um, indigenous people uh, where they where they were on the planet that they were. Right? Um, yeah, so they're that, like proto humans. Yeah, yeah, on the exactly. Show. Um, so that was part of it too. It was like giving giving that world uh, a sort of a more of a I don't know something that sounded more ancient or primal ancient and like organic in yeah. contrast to the robots that are yeah. landing on the the show uh, yeah yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that like organic or ancient sound because that's completely gone when you move on to beast machines yeah yeah um where there's no there's no trees there's no jungle music it's robots and cyberpunk and it, it's that the, the wacky world of of beast machines is very yeah. different uh christopher that, sage did that you have... was really that was i mean i really enjoyed that that series just because for me it was different than anything i'd ever done before um but it was i also... was surprised that you did you moved on from uh yeah. reboot to beast wars and then it was like what bob huckley did beast machines too this is <laughs> this is wild i love the music on that show yeah but and the challenge was to um when you're sticking to com- a uh, completely electronic score and a very edgy sounding score. Mm-hmm. The thing was, how do you create? Um, how do you create softer moments? How do you create moments where, where you know, where where there's emotion going on between the characters with that music? Um, <laughs> right. So that, that, <laughs> um, so that that was the thing. Uh, but you know, I, I I thought it. You know, I thought it worked well. I I was sad that that series didn't go on a little longer because I I thought we could have. Um, done some some really cool things if we had if it had gone on for another couple of seasons but unfortunately it didn't yeah it's a very um uh 
I, I had never, I watched, like, I watched Reboot and Beast Wars growing up, but I had never, uh, and same with Cal, like, we had never really watched Beast Machines, but we've been going through it uh, on our Beast Wars podcast, and uh, we both become huge fans of the show. Uh, it's, uh, Be- Beast Machines is great. It's a very, very, very underrated series, in my opinion. Uh, and speaking of underrated series, uh, Shadow Raiders. Um, I, I mentioned Shadow Raiders, the, the theme song to Shadow Raiders. It's one of my favorite cartoon theme songs. Uh, Hang on. I'm going to leave for one second. I think I have. I'm going to keep talking. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he's getting oh. something Shadow Raiders theme. That's the flute that I used. <gasps> Ooh. Oh, that that's incredible. Oh, she's so pretty. Wow. I had, like, I had quite a few of them. So what happened was um, we were my wife and I were over in Hawaii just before we were about to start that show. Um, we went to see a show there. Um, it was a show, show put on by uh, Sec Soleil. Um, OK, but, yeah. but it was a Hawaiian show and they had a, a, a guy playing all these flutes, mm-hmm. um, Hawaiian flutes. Um, so after the show, he came out and he had these flutes with him. He's basically playing them in the lobby for people. He's a really cool guy. So we befriended him and I went over to his house in, um, in, on Maui. And, um, so what he does is he goes out into the jungles and cuts bamboo and Mm -hmm. he, he can cut exactly the right length. He knows where to put the holes for different scales and stuff like that. And he Mm -hmm. makes all these flutes and some of them are, you know, several feet long and some of them are just little tiny things. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just gave me a whole bunch of them. Uh, He gave me like 10 of them, all (laughs) different keys and all different lengths and stuff like that. Um, And that's what I, that was, and I came back from there and I was working on the theme and I thought, well, I've got these flutes. Now I'm going to do something, something with the flutes. So that's what I used for that theme. And and that theme wouldn't have been like that if I hadn't been in Hawaii and hadn't met that guy. So Wow. Look at the inside scoop. That's cool. It's very unique too, because I mean, how many you know composers would go out and just randomly come back with Hawaiian bamboo flutes <laughs> yeah. to use for their productions? Well, you know, the the thing is, um, after doing I don't know what was it four four series that were all basically uh, computer based, mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to use some um, acoustic instruments, like uh, and you know I play a, a bunch of instruments, a mm-hmm. bunch of woodwind mm-hmm. instruments, um, so. Um, in that series, I, I did start using, I, I did start this set a microphone up and I sort of play along and and try and give it um, a bit more of a, a human feel uh, for that series. Yeah. So you yeah, mentioned you play, you play woodwinds. Uh, did you major on a woodwind when you went to the university or what was your main focus instrumentally? Um, my When I went to university, my main focus was uh, composition. Okay. Um, but uh, I went to university in Seattle, the University of Washington. Oh, wonderful. Uh, but I did play in the orchestra there. And I played, because yeah. I, I played classical music. I also play a lot of jazz. And I played saxophone in the in the jazz quartet. And I had my own uh, jazz uh, quartet while I was down there as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I was playing a lot, but I wasn't, that wasn't mm-hmm. my major. My major was, um, it was in composition. Um, And it was great because what we had um, uh, every Friday of every of every week, uh, we would have a different group come in to play our compositions. And so one Friday would be like a 
a woodwind quintet, another Friday might be a brass quintet, and another one it might be a string quartet. And then the last Friday of every month, we had a full symphony orchestra that we could write for. Oh, that's so awesome. I just, I, I, <laughs> I shouldn't say this out loud, but I didn't attend any classes in university at all. I spent okay. my whole time writing music um, so that every Friday I'd have something ready and I could hear it played. For me, um, the value of being there and that mm-hmm. institution was the uh, being able to go to the score library and be able to study all the orchestral scores with recordings mm-hmm. and having musicians, really good musicians, be able to play what I was writing. So, I mean, for me, my education was was much more about writing stuff and hearing it played than it was going. Being a part of, yeah, yeah, yeah. being yeah. a part of it all. Yeah, and so you were much, just there to have have those people at your disposal. I was there to, to, use, to, yeah, to use the, the facilities, basically, yeah. So, so much more uh, practical education as opposed to academic. There were quite a few people when I went to university that did the exact same thing. They're like, we're not in it for like, the academic classes that we have to take because they often skip those, but they, you can see them every day in ensembles. Um, I majored on saxophone performance in undergrad and I picked up percussion when I got to grad school. So right there with you. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and, it, and it's great. The, the, um, the thing in universities is you've got students in there that are doing their masters and doctors on performance. So you've got some mm-hmm. really good players. Um, where you, it would be, I mean, for me to go out and, and approach the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra and say, hey, can you play one of my pieces so I can hear it? Um, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's, you know, um, they've got, they're just too busy and, and it, it would too, be too expensive. So um, mm-hmm. university is the place to do that for sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely, especially when That's you're working point. with undergrads that need that experience. Like you yep. got your intro, you got your arranging classes, and you're making simple little melodies for, you know, three or four different instruments. And it's like, hey, Go play this. Let's see how it sounds. What do I need to yeah. fix? And just rinse and repeat. Yeah, instant feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was unaware that um, that your studio was like with mainframe, and that makes so much sense because so many uh, shows, oh, man, they those really stand out. <laughs> um, the computer animated shows for uh, mainframe studios, but the music too. And now that you've like mentioned, hey, you had that live feedback that you could go like back and forth and, oh, well, how about this? And it, it makes so much sense that that kind of like fell together because like you said, when you're in person and you're doing it live and you can change things as you're going, it's way different than if you were like down in uh, LA and there needs to be a back and forth and there are time. Yeah delays and maybe they don't get back to you until days later it's i i think you can definitely see that in in the work yeah it's 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 just so much easier because you know you can i can correct something or change something you know it right where they're sitting while they're sitting there yeah and and um and we can get it the way the way the way that we want it, both want it to be. Um, whereas if you're doing a back and forth, it, it's never that. It's it's no. because you're trying to describe music in words, which is you know very difficult. I mean, I had I was working on one project. And I had the director. <laughs> yeah. I, I was doing I was doing a playback for him, and this was a long distance uh, playback. And I was doing the playback for him, and he said, you know, I want that scene to be more orange. And I'm trying to figure out what he means. And, and it, there's a lot of that, you know, when you, you have people trying to describe 
what they want to hear, but the only terms of reference they have are words like orange, or I want it to be more edgy. So what does that exactly mean? Because when I hear edgy, I hear I hear guitars turned up to 10, but that's not necessarily what they mean, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's, it's very difficult when you're dealing with language and trying to transpose uh, for a composer to try and figure out exactly what it is they mean. And you can go back and forth a whole bunch of times um, before you, before you get it right. But if they're sitting right there and you're going, well, how about this? You're going, how about yeah, this radio yeah. play? And then he yeah. hums it yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially like you think Go ahead, Christopher. Oh, I was just uh, going to comment. It's especially got to be hard to like uh, trying to have those conversations with people who themselves aren't musicians or composers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah, I like everybody, the orange. Everybody's everybody thinks they're a composer uh, when <laughs> when they're when they're directing music, and and you know, so you have to sort of go along with that too. And some yeah, of I them are. Some of them are musicians. Some of the directors. We had some very good directors on those shows. Really, I gotta know what orange was. Did you ever find that out, or is it like a mystery lost in time? It was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, I think. A, what what like, is it? A something wrapped in a conundrum. What is that saying? An and, enigma wrapped in a that's it. mystery <laughs> wrapped in a conundrum. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny how people try to put very vague words into what they're trying to say what, and have it associated with musical terminology. Like you think edgy means, you know, guitars turn up to 10. I perceive it as a lot of just dissonance and yeah. clashy chords and things that make you cringe. Yeah, yeah. So. And it could be that too. It could be any one of those things. It's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it all is, subjective, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Music is completely absolute. Like, Instrumental music is completely abstract. I mean, there's no way really to describe it in words. I mean, you can sort of come close. You can you can say what emotion it makes you feel when you listen to a, a piece of music. You may feel an emotion, but everybody that's listening to it may have a different emotion. So it's, mm -hmm. it's very abstract. And, and that's what I think makes it so useful um, to, to have musical scores and shows is that you can create sort of this abstract soundtrack um, that that um, that sometimes can be right along with the story and support the story, and sometimes it can be in opposition to the story, mm -hmm. um, and it can be equally effective. I mean, I've done I've um, I've um, scored fight scenes, for instance, with very up tempo percussive music for for the fight scene, but I've also scored them with with just a choir uh, singing, singing chords, you know, a very slow in the background and it does a whole other thing. The fight scene takes on a whole sort of sinisterness to it. When in the background, you don't have all this, all that stuff, but something just very ethereal and dark in the background, like that something, sort of bad signals is going that something really nasty is going to happen, yeah. you know? Um, so it, you know, it can work in, on a whole, a bunch of different ways music music can um do a, a lot of interesting things um and and one of the things that's fun to do and i've done it with directors before is you'll i'll do a scene and i'll 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 score it and then i'll play a couple of other different completely different kinds of music against that scene and you can see how the actual scene changes depending on what you've got you know what what you've got in the background as far as music's concerned so it can have a huge impact um, on a very subtle level sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a big believer that uh, uh, music uh, tells music tells a story, and it tells a story uh, uh, 
often like to me anyway like oftentimes it'll tell a story its own story completely independent of what it's accompanying like if it has lyrics like the music itself will tell me a different story than the, the lyrics that i'm hearing or even sometimes like if it's accompanying a show uh what i'm seeing on screen it's it tells music always tells me like a it, its own story i'm a i'm a big believer in that mm -hmm. yeah, um, music Music uh, is universal communication. So even when you're not watching it on a screen, you can still hear that melody, hear those earworms, and it takes you back to what you've seen, but you don't need that visual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will uh, say that uh, as someone who grew up uh, watching all of those shows, uh, they wouldn't have been the same without your music. Your music's very iconic in those shows. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, it, you know, it's a huge chunk out of my life <laughs> doing those shows. You know, it was like 14, 18 hour days because it was what, me, one person um, mm -hmm. trying to keep up with 200 animators. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was, um, I didn't have for, for about five years, it was like on, I, I was never off. I was never not doing that. Um, except for a little break to Hawaii where I bought some food. <laughs> That was about it. It was um, it was very. And luckily, I have a wife that understands uh, all understands me being a composer because it's not not fun being married to me at all. Because um, <laughs> when I'm in the middle of a project, I'm not fun to be around because I'm really immersed in the project. You sort of have to be, you know, because you have to be able to leave at the end of the day and be able to come back the next day and and take up where you left off in that same space. The flow storyline. And yeah, sort of in the zone. It's like it's like an actor being in character, you know. You sort of a lot of actors when they leave the set and come back the next day, they don't leave character all for, for, for the whole time that they're home that night. Mm -hmm. Their poor family, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, speaking of composing for our shows, did the, did composing for the shows that we speak about did that lead to melodies and themes in your future compositions for, say, for example, wind ensembles? Because you have a very wide repertoire of pieces they've composed for, you know, orchestras, wind ensembles, et cetera, because I was pouring through um, all the stuff that you were doing. And I listened to the piece called Codebreakers. And yeah. that, that reminded me so much of Reboot. Like, did, did what you've done in the past influence you what you compose now in, in the present and in the future? Yeah, I, I think everything affects everything, right? Uh, you, mm -hmm. you know, and my rock and roll days, um, that, you know, that came to play in, in the animation and, and, and the music that I'm writing now. I did do a, a wind ensemble version of the reboot theme, which is sort of cool. I've listened to that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's not just the theme. It's, it, uh, it's, it goes into the megabyte theme and a bunch of other mm -hmm. things too. It's, it's actually, it actually works really well for wind ensemble. It's really hard to play. <laughs> uh, uh, it, uh, can, can we find that on your website? Yeah. It's on the website. Yeah. You just go uh, on. Yeah, there, I need to uh, check that out. <laughs> just go under concert music. It's there. Um, I, as a matter of fact, I think there's even. I think you can even watch the music score going by while you're listening to it. Yep, there is a score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you, but to answer your question, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, um, it's interesting you mentioned Codebreaker because that theme was actually a demo I did for another television series that never came to light. Um, it was for Hot Wheels or something like that. Um, so, so I, I did demo that for, for a show and it never, it never happened. So I took, took basically the essence of that and made it into a wind piece. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, everything informs everything. It's, it's, um, 
it's it's uh, but I love what I'm doing now because um, I, you know I got really burned out doing all those television shows because after I left mainframe I did a bunch of other ones for nerdcore um, and you know the the amount of money that was available uh, became less and less and the amount of work became for each show became more and more uh, for uh, for reboot I, I'll, I'll say how much I got paid because this is sort of interesting for reboot I got seventy five hundred dollars an episode. And, and I did all of it, right? Right, um, yeah. And I got to keep a portion of the publishing, which is, which is good because it was a, a show that was shown all over the world. So it actually, it actually I got an income from it for, for a few years afterwards. By the time we got to Beast Machines, I was getting $3,000 an episode. So less than oh, half. So it went down. Yep. And uh, less than half for what amounted to more work. And by the time I left mainframe and got onto the other series with Nerdcore, it was down to $2,500 shows, $2,500 a show. And there were guys around, there were composers around that were doing them for nothing. They would, they would, do, they would score all the shows for nothing on the hopes that there would be a, a publishing back end and that they might get some money uh, from, from performances. Getting uh, paid with exposure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it got... Um, Huh. I thought that that what I was being paid for reboot was reasonable. Um, and I thought that I got a good deal on that. Uh, but towards the end, I was working even harder for the other series and not getting paid as much. And the cost of living was going up and living in mm -hmm. Vancouver never get, you know, it doesn't get any cheaper. It's crazy. here. So I just got burned it, out and I thought it's not worth it. I was offered another series and, and I thought, you know, I just... Another two years of this um, for almost no money. I'm I'm going to move on and do something else. Oh, absolutely! You have to make that decision. To... Yeah. Plus, I got bored. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, after yeah. you, you do like yeah. 350 shows or whatever it is, it's sort mm -hmm. of okay. I've done that. It's time to move on now. Yeah, a lot That's of episodes sure. of yeah. Uh, television. Yeah, I saw you worked on uh, uh, Stormhawks as well, which yeah. was was after my time, but uh, I, I knew about it because uh, 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 an ex partner of mine knew the one of the creators of the show. Um, so the the name stuck out to me. Um, I won't. We won't take up too too much of your time because we've already gone over time. We're we're very grateful. Uh, I just got a couple more questions. Uh, one. Uh, so. This is kind of a broad question, but like, what is your favorite piece of music you did for the main various mainframe shows? Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I quite, I mean, I like the root, the, the reboot theme. I, I thought it was a really good theme. Mm -hmm. I like the theme to, uh, to, uh, to War Planets or whatever you call it. It's, it had a couple of different names. It did. I like, yeah. I like the theme <laughs> yeah, to, that, yeah. to that show a lot. Um, there's uh, there was a cue um, in um, that show uh, where the vizier died. Um, uh, right. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The the grand vizier of the fire yeah, planet. Yeah. yeah. That was sort of that was sort of fun. I actually I think that that might be on my website. Um, um, I, I really like the Beast Machines theme. I thought that that was quite for the time was quite innovative. You know, mm -hmm. it took me quite a while to, Definitely. to come up with that one. Um, but and there's various cues, you know, within reboot that I thought was sort of neat. Um, but geez, I don't know. It's you know, it it sort of has has blurred into uh, into 
into obscurity for me a, a little bit because yeah. I've done so much money, uh, so much more music since. Oh, oh, oh uh, what's it? What's the name? Hexadecimal's theme. I really like that yes. one. That was really cool. <laughs> um, no, speaking, had actually, speaking like of that, that episode, <laughs> speaking of that episode, did you write the the Bob and Megabyte guitar duel? Yes. Okay. Yeah, nice. but, that, but that once again, <laughs> that once again was uh, was improvised, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's better for it. Like it, it sounds like two people just improvising, just ripping, yeah. Yeah. Going at ripping at each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had the amplifier out in the hallway uh, of mainframe because, uh, and I I set up a microphone um, about maybe. 15 feet away from the amplifier and we had the amplifier turned up as loud as it will possibly go. I mean, it was screaming and, and you could hear it out on the street. It was so loud. Um, and, and it took a while to do that, right? Cause it's, it's improvised and it's improvised the picture. So, you know, you sort of do several takes poor, mm-hmm. poor people in mainframe. I mean, they must've hated having me in that building because I was doing all sorts of crazy things out in the hallways there to try and, to try and do stuff, you know, to... never a dull day at mainframe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do either of you guys have any other questions? Okay, My what's the, first, dirt? The, the, first, <laughs> the first question I actually had written down was the process. Can you take us through the process of composing for a TV show? But we kind of just led into it just naturally. So yeah. all my questions on that got answered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can speak a little bit to it. It's so basically um, what you get um, is before, before they start animating is you get a script and you get a storyboard, which is just pencil drawings. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then as they start to animate, you'll get chunks of animation that are basically in place in the show with, with pencil drawn storyboards as, uh, as they replace the pencil stuff with actual animation. So somewhere in there, I have to start writing the music in order to, to get the thing done in time. So a lot of time I'm, I'm actually scoring two pencil drawings. Um, and as they get the animation and sometimes the timings will change and things like that. So I have to adjust as I go along. Um, but it's a lot of mathematics. It really is a lot of mathematics mm-hmm. being able to find tempos, like, so that you can get from this scene to this scene, get so many bars in, if you want to create some sort of a theme and know how many, what tempo that's going to be. And they're fractional tempos. I mean, it's not like 120 beats a minute. It'll be 120.57632 to get from this point to this point. <laughs> Um, and, and, and so it's a lot of mathematics and it's a lot of figuring out how you can have a piece of music that sounds fluid and sounds natural, but is still catching all the things in the picture. I mean, that's the thing that takes the time. Um, so it's very much that, uh, a lot of mathematics, um, thank God for computers, because when I was scoring shows before I was doing it on computers, it was, it was really crazy. I mean, you had, I had a big thick book like that with all these tables of tempos and, and, um, and frame counts in them. Um, and it was, it would take hours just to come up with the tempo map before you even started writing music. Oh, wow. And now it's, it's a lot easier with a computer because you can, you can do hit points and it'll, it'll find the number of bars and find a tempo for you. Um, but that's sort of the process is, is, um, is watching, spotting the show, first of all, with the director saying, where, where are we going to put music and what, what do we want the music to do? And then I get a rough cut, I score some stuff to the rough cut, get the director in, we'll talk a little bit more about it. And then uh, as the animation starts coming in, I can fine tune what I'm doing. Uh, and hopefully, 
get the music finished in time. I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's like the, the anime, everything goes late, right? There's the deadline for this. The show has is going to go on air on this date and it's going to happen. And then there's the production time. And the last thing to happen is the music and the sound effects. So we, we are waiting and waiting and waiting, hoping that we're going to get everything in enough time to be able to make the deadline for the show. Um, and sometimes it means being up for several days in a row without any sleep to get it done. And so uh, I've heard, I, I've heard that nothing in film is ever on schedule. No, <laughs> like everything's always behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the deadline stays the same. But yeah, but the you, you still you still got to go live on this date, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I still have my my first hard drive that I bought. It's over there. It's a it's it's holding up a bunch of books right now. It's, um, <laughs> three gigabytes. It costs me $850. It's a like a SCSI drive. And it still works. I have other, wow. you know, other drives that have died years ago. But imagine $850 for three gigabytes. And now you can buy like, you know, solid state drives now. Solid state terabyte for Yeah, yeah. I've got, you know, all my sound libraries are in um, on terabyte, like a solid state terabyte drive. So I can travel yeah. anywhere. And you know, they're all in little drives like that. So yeah, yeah, like cards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a tech nerd, so uh, computer nerd. So, like, when did you buy that hard drive? So, eight hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> for three gigs. It would have been in the in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah. It was a drive I used on reboot for sure. Like, and then like they you, had these. That like that's long. a lot of storage, even for that time. Yeah. Like your average home computer, like would have like at that time would have like oh uh, uh, like 128 megabyte hard drive. Yeah, I, even, I had a friend. Even samplers there. back then, you know, the samplers back then, they compared to the ones today, they were tiny. You know. Yeah, I had a friend in like night around that same time, um, who was like, oh, like what? Like why would you ever need? A 500 megabyte like hard drive like you never fill that in your whole life no matter how hard you tried it's like oh you 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 paid too much for that yeah like my uncle that bought his like computer so times times a change yeah i mean i i have an, an acute acoustic piano sample library um that takes up almost a terabyte just piano just the piano yeah but they sample every note on a on a really nice grand piano and a really nice uh, you mm. know, studio they sample every note um mm. 24 times uh, oh. with the pedals up and the pedals down you can imagine how many samples there are in yeah there. yeah a whole Sound, bunch yeah a whole yeah. bunch <laughs> all right what, uh, kind, what kind of saxophone do you play uh yanagasawa uh, tenor or alto alto i was cool. listening to your piece uh press to digitation with that saxophone solo <laughs> yeah oh that, it slaps it's great yeah, that that was that was fun. That was written for a, a saxophone player here in Vancouver. And unfortunately, we recorded it, but I I wasn't allowed to use the recording on my website. So the recording you that you hear there is actually a saxophone player from Alabama. Uh, he he's um, he's a student at Troy University in Alabama. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, very good player. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, do you have any? Uh, is a lame question, I guess. But do you have any questions for us? No, I mean, I love what you're doing. I mean, I love that you were the age that you were when these shows came on and that you're still paying attention to them and listening to them and I can ask questions about them. I, I think it's wonderful. It makes me feel good that there are people in the world 
who still like those shows. I mean, yeah. they tried relaunching Reboot, and I thought it was a disaster. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, every, everyone thinks it's a disaster. Yeah, yeah, I gave yeah. up about six episodes in, and I, I think I, I think I I made it uh, farther than most people. It was, yeah, yeah. Parts of it were filmed here in Victoria, and uh, my friend was working on it. And I did an extra work. Like, I, I'm in, like, one single episode, like, doing it. And then when it, like, came out, I remember being like, ooh, this is, <laughs> it's lost so much of, I, oh, I won't even get into it, but it's just a big <laughs> oof. Well, the original it's... show, you know, the original reboot show, it was because of the guys that were involved, the three English guys, they were very quirky guys. They, uh, really, they had that, they were from the north of England, so they've got that sort of northern sense of humor, you know, it's very dry, but it's also very quirky at the same time. So they they um, they had that going, and, and that, there was that humor and that sort of quirkiness in reboot that that it needed those guys to write the scripts and and have it be that otherwise it wasn't reboot anymore you know no it wasn't it's a good point yeah and it, it comes across a lot like whenever we're combing through the episodes because that's what our show is we do like analysis of a single episode uh, or it's like christopher and i like to joke like you know it's like a two-hour show about a 25 minute children's <laughs> cartoon <laughs> yeah yeah we talk about 22 minutes for three hours mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's good. Uh, I mean, but it's, there's a, there's so much put to it. Like it's you can just say, oh yeah, it's a kids show. But the music, the animation, the the art references, the pop culture references of the time, the pop culture references of the people writing it. Mm-hmm. It it goes way back. Like you said, the um, the episode uh, about um, oh, I've immediately forgot the, the TV show, The Prisoner. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like before that had come up. Uh, and Christopher had mentioned what it was that episode was based off of. Uh, I think it was number seven, Christina. Yeah. yeah, number seven, yeah. Um, I I had no idea. And then yeah. upon like Christopher telling me and reading into it, and I'm like, oh, like this is this th- there's a reason why this episode is so weird <laughs> because it's it's um primarily based on like a really, really old show. Yeah. No, I, I actually have seen The Prisoner. I watched it when I was a teenager. And the reason why I watched it was because of the Iron Maiden song, The Prisoner. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, Iron Maiden has a song about The Prisoner. so And it like samples uh, uh, audio cues from the, the show. And so I got curious when I was like about 17 or 18. And I was like, oh, what is the like, what is this from? And so I ended up watching through the show. Yeah, no, it was a good series. The, the, the last episode was a little wacky, but it was good up to there. Mm. You know, yeah, <laughs> one day I remember I was, I was um, they, had done, they had broadcast that series with a stand-up comedian that, uh, that does uh, binary jokes where the punchlines are <laughs> yeah. one yeah. or zero, and, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. But, I, but I, I was living in the West End of Vancouver, and I went for a walk, and this was the day after that show was broadcast, and I heard a bunch of little kids on the beach doing the doing that routine doing, doing the bit like the oh one 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 oh <laughs> and i thought this is amazing you know it's 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 in the culture that quickly mm-hmm. the kids are the kids are starting to, to play with it already you know so it was very good um so to to wrap things up uh do you have anything you're uh you're working on right now that you do you want to plug want to hype up 
Well, you know, my life now is quite different than, than animation days. I, I, I'm writing a lot of orchestral music now, which is fun. And I just, um, I was just in Quebec City recording my third symphony. Um, so, uh, so that's, um, that's um, being mixed as we speak. Um, it was interesting because it was um, the first time that those musicians had been out uh, playing together for almost two years now because yeah. of COVID. And we had to get um, a very large uh, cathedral to put them all in so that they could all be physically distanced. Um, mm. So you can imagine a big orchestra and the, the percussionists couldn't hear the front line at all. And nobody, I mean, everybody was so separate that it really was the conductor that was just, they had to watch the conductor like a, like a hawk to be able to play together. But, you know, the because they were distanced and because they were in such a beautiful space, the acoustics of the recording are just absolutely amazing, um, which wouldn't have happened if, if we had been in a, in a studio. So, uh, yeah, it turned out really well. I was really happy with it. Well, yeah, but some and of the my, best my orchestral music in. sounds my orchestral <laughs> music sounds like my music that I wrote for TV and movies. You know, it's it's yeah. very it's very um it's very cinematic. Uh, all my music is because I you know that's sort of how I hear music is by seeing things. So it's it's all that. I don't write really a sort of obscure stuff. I, my stuff is is quite visual. If you close your eyes when you're listening to my music, you probably will see some sort of a little mini movie score or something like that yeah it it moves mm -hmm. tells a, a story as to what christopher was yeah mentioning yeah, yeah. uh well for, uh, to our listeners i encourage uh everyone to to go to uh bob's website bobbuckley.com dot com uh, and uh, he has links to many, many, many pieces of work that he's done over the years. Uh, and it's it's a treat. Uh, go check it out. Uh, I think I think we should wrap things up here. Uh, thank you so much, Bob, for for taking the time to talk to us today. And we we went way over the, the time that I quoted you. So thank you for uh, for bearing. Oh, with you're us. welcome. <laughs> uh, it's been a uh, it's been a treat, uh, Bob. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, Thank thanks you. for taking your time out of your day for us. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. nice to meet you. Yeah, nice yeah, meeting. Thank you. Thank you. It was mm -hmm. fun. All right. Uh, take care. Too much energy. Once again, I would like to express uh, the utmost gratitude to Bob Buckley for uh, agreeing to do the interview with us. We talked with him for quite a while. Like the the interview that uh, uh, in the episode proper. It, about an hour but like we talked to him for like at least an hour and a half i ended up like cutting a whole bunch of it down oh yeah he was he was fun to it felt like he was getting some things off of <laughs> off of his chest too yeah oh, absolutely and i feel like he's one of those kind of chill guys you can just sit at a bar and have a couple beers and talk about the exact same thing and he'd be transparent irl as he would be over a zoom call he had within ice like like in the same room as him. He's like, you know what? S stay here a second. Didn't he like go and get like, he went a, a CD? No, he yeah. went oh, yeah. that's what he got. Yeah. Yeah. The, the flute that he used for the, um, the, the Shadow Raiders uh, intro. Um, so oh, and he had a story about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, um, Cause he was uh, Hawaii to get it. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Uh, just, uh, just after we did the interview too, um, uh, I went and saw, uh, uh, therapist because that's that's a thing that i do um 
but uh and he like i i've talked about like the various like projects that we do and i i had mentioned that we because this was like i think like a day or two after the interview and uh he was like oh who was the interview with and i was like oh it was this person and my therapist actually knew him <laughs> like actually like knew him like in person i was like wow what a what a small world mm-hmm. yeah and um anybody uh Anybody watching this probably already knows, but um, he like reached out and was like, man, I worked for months on this reboot, like CD. Right. And it was never released and it irks me. Do, do you guys, do you guys want it? And he gave us permission to yeah. upload it and share it like with the world and boom, unreleased unofficial reboot soundtrack and it's amazing 25 years later or however long that has been sitting like in his in his queue in his archives just waiting to be released to the world that he finds three podcasters (laughs) podcasting about this shit is like hey i trust you guys to make this go out in the public here you go that makes us feel official damn it (laughs) we are truly a legitimate journalism (laughs) <laughs> yes, truly the most. Someone even say the most legitimate journalism. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I released that onto the the Lasercomb, uh, just track by track onto the Lasercomb um, uh, YouTube channel because I was like, uh, I'm like, well, I I could put this on my OneDrive and share it, but. I don't know. I, I felt like putting it on the YouTube channel was the best way to go about it because then it's just always there. It's always there. Discover. People can share the link. People, yeah. Yeah, and as far as I know, uh, that is the only way to actually listen to like isolated CD quality music from Reboot. They're pretty Absolutely. fucking cool. Yeah. Right. I man, I would be like if he if he had had like uh, uh, music for Beast Wars or Beast Machines kicking around, like I that that would just be like icing on the cake. For we me. we would be the foremost. <laughs> That, that, would the, be the the foremost uh, Beast Wars podcast. I mean, yeah, I think unreleased. we already kind of are, but at this point, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's not to to knock some of the other Beast Wars podcasts out there because there are some, and um, well, they are uh, friends of the show. Oh yeah, friends of the show. We love all of you. Uh, that has been episode 69 of Too Much Energon. Uh, best way to support the show, go to Patreon. Patreon.com slash lasercomb. L-A-Z-O-R-C-O-M-B. Where you get hours each and every week of bonus preamble audio where we kind of shoot the shit before we get into uh, doing the shows proper. Um, uh, today, at the time of recording, actually, uh, me and Lady Glitch chatted for like an hour. Um, so go and check that out. We also at our $10 and up tier, we have our uh, weekly news and current events program, Lasercomb Tonight. And uh, also at the $10 tier, you get to pick a show for us to review a random episode of on uh, one of mine and Cal's other podcasts, the Lasercomb podcast. Uh, we have an entire month uh, queued up of Patreon uh, uh, sponsored shows. So I'm it's a it's a pretty diverse, uh, oh, yeah. pretty diverse selection of TV shows that I'm really excited to get into. Uh, next next up, uh, the the first one on the docket is going to be episode 137 of X Files. So 
If you want to get in on that, go to patreon.com slash lasercomb. Uh, social media, if you want to follow me, you can do so at lasercomb. Once again, L-A-Z-O-R-C-O-M-B uh, on Twitter. Or you can follow the show proper at Too Much Energon. Uh, you guys also have Twitter, yes? Yes, yeah. we do. At Lady Damn it, Cal. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, that's my fault. I should have, I should have uh, directed it to to one of you uh, in particular first. That's that's my bad. Uh, uh, Lady Glitch, you uh, you have Twitter, yes? Oh, absolutely, Lady Glitch six one nine. And it's uh, me too. And, and Cal, you <laughs> yeah. also you also have uh, uh, have Twitter as well. Yeah, right? Neo Cal, Neo underscore K A L. Uh, you can also go to Facebook, facebook.com slash lasercomb, once again, L-A-Z-O-R-C-O-M-B, to uh, kind of follow all of the shows that we do proper. I've been very bad about actually posting to it lately, but um, it is linked to my Instagram account, so you get to see pictures of Transformers and food and... Selfies. Uh, selfies and... The weather. Uh, the weather. <laughs> yeah, the weather. Uh <laughs> So uh, all of that gets uploaded to to uh, to to the the Facebook the the Lasercomb Productions Facebook page. But I'm gonna try and be be better about the the posting. I don't know why. New Year's resolutions. A, I don't know why I just did a hand a jerking <laughs> off motion with my. <laughs> better hands. about posting. I want posts on my desk on the, by morning. <laughs> um, we will be back next week with uh, episode seventy of Too Much Energon. 70 episodes, Cal. Can you believe it? I, I not only can I not believe it, I am so hyped. Uh, and I think the reason why, why Cal is so hyped is because we're finally going to be talking about season two of Beast Machine. So, episode 70 of Too Much Energon is going to be about season two, episode one of Beast Machines. Uh, I don't have the wiki in front of me, so I have no idea what the episode is called. Uh, but we'll we will definitely tell you next week. And until then, I have been one of your hosts, Christopher Siege. And I'm NeoCal. And I'm Lady Glitch. And until next week, Beast Mode. Beast Mode. <laughs> Beast Mode. <laughs> Bye-bye. Beast Machine.